Well, good morning. Getting some feedback. Okay, so good morning. I'm Tommy O'Neill, or Tom O'Neill. Um, as uh, Cheryl said, I know some of you guys, uh, some of you knew and, and don't know, but um, we're not new to this area. I, I spent four and a half years here in Lexington. We lived on Bobo Link, and uh, I was going to, um, I was doing residency, both anesthesia and then family medicine at the University of Kentucky. Spent uh, most of those four and a half years in the hospitals there. So um, got to know this area, and um, we're really fortunate to be back here right now. And today I have a message uh, for you guys that, I, you know, I think that, well, there's really been, um, there's been confirmation. Even what, earlier this week, and then even what Sasha was talking about, that is essentially the short version of what I'm talking about today. Um, so it's amazing. The message is both for the congregation, but if you'll permit me, there's a personal element to it. I have some of my family here. Many of them live in other places in the region, but um, some of them are here today. And so there's a personal element to this as well um, that I want them to hear because this message is for them. Um, well, Heavenly Father, I come before you, and I just pray that you would use me today. Just thank you for your confirmations. Oh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit's presence here today was so sweet. It's wonderful. Lord Jesus, I just, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would sweep into this, that your words would be spoken here, that this atmosphere would continue through what I'm speaking and that there would be a hope, a thrill of looking to you as we walk down the path of our lives, serving you in Jesus' name. You know, people often ask me what I'm going to be doing in Africa, and you know, the, the answer is both simple and complex. You know, there's, it's simple, we're, we're going to go make disciples in Africa. Um, we're going to bring people to Jesus, and we're going to make a dent in this country that is mostly Muslim, 95 plus percent Muslim, and there's not much of an evangelical church there, um, so very unchurched, and we're going to go make a difference there, and we're on, we're on the ground floor of launching that, but the complexity of it is, is that there's so much else that's wrapped up into what it means to be a disciple and to walk that road. You know, I often have curious, or pe people that are curious, you know, I a week and a half ago, I came back from spending two months in Portland. Many of you don't know this, but I'm an Air National Guard flight medicine physician. And I spent two months in Portland, Oregon, giving one vaccine after the other. It was about a two to two and a half minute interaction with people. And in that, repeatedly, hey, what do you do on the outside? Let me tell you. Um, and what they'd often go to is this sense of looking at the cost of missions, the cost of discipleship. And I want to look at that concept of the cost of discipleship and in a way spin it on its head and turn it around to actually be not the cost of discipleship, but the reward of discipleship. A different look at this kind of a thing. Because from my perspective, the rewards of discipleship far outweigh the costs and are totally worth it. There's no question I'm thrilled to be on this journey. Liam, 
In a week, we're leaving. Teddy, in a week, we're leaving. You two have become like brothers. You spend all of your time. Five and a half years ago when we left, you cried every night. We'll be leaving and we'll be gone at least probably two and a half years. And everyone here knows things change in two and a half years. What will change? We don't even know. It costs both of you something. It costs you something. But I want you to know there's an eternal reward. I want you to hear that. I want you to set your hopes on that. I want you to believe that. I want you to walk your whole life thinking that. That there's an eternal reward for following Christ and laying down our lives in service to him. There's a famous missionary named Jim Elliot. And there's this quote. My father introduced me to Jim Elliot as a, as a young man, as a teenager. Teddy's age, 13, something like that. And I remember reading about these men, reading about this pilot, Nate Saint, and seeing them as heroes of the faith. And this quote has stuck with me and has been a motto for my life and for many others. I'm sure you guys know it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We know that story. But I wanted to go through it again today because there's some words that were written in the, in the diary that was found that I want you to hear because it really speaks the message and drives it home today. On Tuesday, January 3rd, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador. So this was a dangerous landing. For years they had been dreaming of and planning, just like we have, dreaming of and planning. Their hearts were set on reaching these Alka Indians with the good news of Jesus. They knew this was dangerous, but they went simply because they knew they belonged to God and because he was their savior, their creator, and their redeemer. They had no choice but to willingly follow and obey him. I dare say that they eagerly did this. This, this meant obeying to take his command of the good news to every nation. And this little tribe was on their heart. On Friday, January 6th, three Alcas. One man, two women approached them. They exchanged greetings. The missionaries showed them rubber bands, yo-yos, and the man was taken up in the airplane. It was a really good day, and they were hopeful. On Sunday, January 8th, they were due to radio in to their home base at 4.30. There was silence. There was no call. There was no message. A plane was dispatched and a rescue party was formed. Four of their bodies were found. They had been lanced to death. A fifth was never found. There was a cost here. Jim Elliott's diary was found by the rescue party. And these were the last words that he wrote 
as they waited for the Alka Indians to come to them. Think about this. He was hopeful. He wasn't planning to die the next day. He had his eyes set on eternity. Think of that. that as he walked this narrow path, this path, he had his eyes set on the prize, on Jesus, and on the hope of the treasures that he might take with him to heaven, the souls of the people he might lead. Listen to these words from Jim Elliot. I walked out to the hill just now. It is exalting, delicious to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and heavens calling your heart to gaze in glory and give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him. Perhaps in mercy, he shall give me a host of children, i.e. converts, that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore the delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. Maybe that's me. Maybe he's had that impact on me. Maybe I'm one of those people that he'll lead. But to get back to his words, but if not, if only I may see him touch his garments and smile into his eyes, at then, oh, not stars nor children shall matter, only himself. Oh, Jesus, master and center of, and end of all, how long before that glory is yours, which has so long awaited you. Now there is no thought of you among men, then there shall be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised, then none shall care for others' merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven. Take your crown, subdue, subdue your kingdom, enthrall your creatures. This man had eyes set on eternity. He had his eyes set on the prize. He was furiously going after this. His mind was made up. He knew the dangers, and these were words between him and God. May that be my heart, where my gaze is so transfixed on Jesus that I see only him and the prize set before us, our blessed hope of eternity with him. You know, another hero of the faith for us is Apostle Paul. And he said that by setting our hopes on God and storing up treasures in heaven, we may take hold of that which is truly life. That passage is found in 1 Timothy 6, 19. And you know, this is a wonderful statement. The good news of the gospel is that there is an alternative to the empty way of life that is offered by our world. That way where men's, as we find in Philippians 3, 19, men's destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Let's take hold of that life that is truly life by setting our hopes on God and storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Training. We're on a path. We are disciples of Christ. We are on a beam, on a narrow road, following with our eyes set on Christ. So what is that road? 
We may call it discipleship. And what comes to mind when you hear the term discipleship? Is it a mentorship relationship with a new believer? Is it a prescribed course in Sunday school or some other class that you take? Or home, small group, where there's a mentoring relationship? John Wesley said, the church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. You know, these ideas begin to lay out the idea and the process, but that's not where, it, that's just where it starts. A.W. Tozer says, only a disciple can make disciples. We must first and foremost be a disciple of Christ ourselves. You know, it's been said, a teacher learns what a teacher, or a student learns what a teacher knows, but a disciple is someone who becomes who the master is. One great writer on discipleship put it this way, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. A disciple, to answer the question, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who finds, follows, and is fully becoming formed to be like Jesus. Let's be on that road. And what do we find in the scriptures about discipleship? This journey that we're on. I found a key verse for today, and it's found in Mark 8, 34 through 38. Jesus says, or the scripture goes like this. Then he called to the crowd, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to the Father's glory and with his holy angels. To deny oneself means to put away one's own selfish desires. We've all done that in choosing to follow Christ. We must continue to do that day by day. The cross of Christ is a symbol of suffering, death, and shame. Ridicule, rejection, self-denial. And a follower of Christ who takes up their cross is making a deliberate choice to deny their own self-desires, self-interest, and way of life. And to boldly identify themselves with Christ. That person's own identity gets so lost that you can't tell who they are apart from him. May that be the prayer of my life, that they lose sight of who I am and they only see Jesus, that my life makes no sense apart from knowing who Jesus is. This kind of identification with Christ requires a commitment in four areas that we will struggle against and suffering for the sake of following Christ. We will struggle, indeed, in a lifelong battle against sin and must win willingly endure the crucifixion of ourselves day by day, not feeding or becoming responsive to our own sinful desires. 
We will struggle in war against Satan, the demonic powers of evil. He will set a target on your back, but Jesus will protect you. It is following him that you want to be. There may be distractions to the side of this beam, but set your gaze on the coach. We will suffer hatred and ridicule from the world. And like Jesus, we will suffer ridicule and persecution from religious people and ungodly leaders. Who's called the discipleship? Who is it that's called? Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are all called to make disciples and to be disciples. What does discipleship mean in the life of the church? Dwight L. Moody, a famous pastor, said, it is better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people. But it's harder. That's what we're going to do in Africa. We're going to go train the trainer. We're going to train local native Gambians to go reach their own country so that they can do this without us. Our impact will be limited, but maybe we'll have an impact beyond that. You know, the church is made up of individuals, and each of us have our own area of responsibility, our own area of influence. You and I are both leaders in some area. There is something that we've been given a responsibility from the Father to, to manage in our life. Each of us have a battle to fight. We must be faithful with what we've been given. And this sometimes means a calling to minister on the mission field, but more often it means right where you're at, in your home, in your place of work, in your area of influence. Be faithful there in service to the Father. And oftentimes we think of, think of it like this, that only the big things matter. In a way, selling all and going to Africa. But does it really look like that? And as I've walked that out, has it really meant that? Well, not exactly. It's something different. But from the scripture, we actually see something different. That it's not necessarily the big things that matter. But oftentimes the small things that we may not even have noted at the time. As we see from the scriptures in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, Jesus is teaching us something here. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these brothers, you did it to me. 
You know, a great example of, a hero, of another hero of the faith who's a real example of this. And if you think of this in terms of her own lifetime, she would never have necessarily known the impact. This lady is Susanna Wesley. And although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, she's known as the mother of Methodism because her two sons, John and Charles Wesley, went on to stave off a bloody revolution in England. A revival happened in that country. And this, they were changed. May that happen in our country. Who knows the impact that you may have through discipling this unreached people group in your own home, your own children. Countless men and women through the ages have been the building blocks of the church as they minister in their home. Let's be faithful even there. And what is the motivation for being Jesus' disciple? Let's consider that next. As Jesus said, this is a challenging road. Luke 14, verse 26 through 27, says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Also in verse 33, that passage is clo- closes out by saying, So therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There is a cost. Yes, Teddy and Liam. There's a cost. But there's a reward. And the reward cannot even be known. We cannot understand it. It is good. It is good. And that's what you want. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, the sweetness, first of all, of a relationship with Jesus. What words are adequate to describe knowing the Lord? What words are adequate to describe how can you describe to your friends, to your coworkers tomorrow, the experience in worship here today? How can it be captured? John 6, 68 doesn't exactly say this, but it captures something of it. As John turns to Jesus, whereas others have turned away because they're disturbed by something he said. And he says, Jesus, or Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life are found in Jesus. There is a sweetness there that cannot be told. There are also eternal rewards. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures in earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are also given brothers and sisters and a family in Christ that is our reward both here and now for following Christ. I sense that being here, this welcome in this congregation this friendship we have with Pastor Brad and Megan, 
What a wonderful thing. Mark 10, 29 through 30 says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let's set our hope on that promise. You know, there's also a blessing that we cannot imagine, we cannot conceive. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. You know, this is a moment to live for. We set our hope on heaven. There is a moment to live for here. And the Apostle Paul put it well as he penned the words, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Something happened at the fall. We were separated from Christ. But we were meant to live in fellowship with the Father. And we tasted but a taste of that today. It will be overwhelming and wonderful in a way that we cannot conceive. Jesus alone would be enough. But there's treasures in the souls that will come with us to heaven. You know, there's also a future reward that we don't even know, but it's referred to this judgment seat of Christ. And this bema seat of Christ, if you look at the context of the words, this is not a place where our wrongs are brought before us. Maybe we see what we could have had but didn't achieve, but we mostly will be glorying in what Father looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant, for this thing that you laid down, for this thing that you've been faithful in. It might be small things, as I mentioned. You know, one of the confirming things that happened to me this week, I was reading those words, I was researching, and I came across the words from Jim Elliott, and was watching the children, they were playing, the weather was beautiful, and I was just meditating as I was finishing up on those words and how this man has his gaze so fixed on Jesus. And considering that there's a reward for even the small things. And Cheryl came home with groceries and I was unhelping her, I was helping her unload the pickup truck out of the bed of the pickup truck. And I was just grabbing the last bag of groceries or bags of groceries. And we live on Jesmond Station Road and it goes across the railroad tracks into Wilmore. And uh, coming up the hill there is this pickup truck, not dissimilar to the one that we've been driving, towing our RV. 
It's towing a large cargo trailer and it's slowing down as it's going up the hill, starting to sputter. And then it stops there on the side of the road. And my heart goes out to the guy. I'm, oh my, I've been there. I've been in that situation coming up a hill in the pickup truck. I'm like, is it overheated? And a passenger jumps out of the back, the side of the car and grabs a can of gas. And he starts running down the hill towards the gas station that's two or three blocks away. And the driver gets out on, the, on his side and starts directing traffic around. Come on, come on. And I watch there for a second. And it comes to me. I should go help that guy. I have a can of diesel in the, in the garage. I thought, no. I just saw a guy run down the hill. They've got it taken care of. They don't need me. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Nope. So I grab the groceries and I turn and I walk into the trailer. And Cheryl has seen this too. And she looks at me and she says, don't we have diesel in the, in the garage? Couldn't we run and go help that guy? No, I, I saw a guy go down the hill and they're fine. They don't need me. So then I gave her the groceries and I walked out there and I'm standing there basically gawking. And uh, the man looks at me. And I don't know, I'm 150 feet away, something like that. And he says, hey, mister, do you have any diesel I could borrow? <laughs> and it stunned me. I was struck with conviction. I had just been studying this. Like, why didn't I run at the opportunity to be a blessing? I said, yes. Give me just a minute. I turned, I grabbed it, and I went hurrying up the hill to him. He said, I have money. I'll give you money. I said, no, no, no. I just want the can back when you're done. So he started fueling his truck, and when he looked like he was finishing up, I walked up the hill to him, and he came down the hill, and he handed me the can, and he looked at me with his sincere eyes. He paused for a minute, and he just gazed right at me, and he said exactly this, nothing else. He said, God bless you. Thank you. And he turned, and he walked up the hill. I took that can and I walked down the hill. He jumped in the truck. It started right up and drove away. I had to pause, close my eyes and repent. I had just been studying this, Heavenly Father. Why didn't I respond? Why didn't I run? Thank you for being so good to give me three chances to obey, to hear you. Thank you for so clearly speaking to me in that moment and then closing it out and saying, hey, look, there's a blessing at some point for being that cup of cold water or a can of diesel to a man in need. I thank God and honored him for blessing me with that moment to be so inspired and to hear from him and to grow in my faith. You know, we are all called to be disciples of Christ, seeking to be who he is, 
joining him in what he is doing and following his commands is what we were made to do. Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is the pearl of great price. A life surrendered to Christ is a priceless treasure. Liam, a life surrendered to Christ is a priceless treasure. Teddy, a life surrendered to Christ is a priceless treasure. Don't miss it. Those who desire to be part of God's kingdom, heavenly kingdom, must be willing to give up everything that could hinder their relationship with God and prevent them from accomplishing his purposes for them. Jesus in no way is suggesting that we can earn a place in heaven or his kingdom by money or by good works, but rather he is telling us that the kingdom must be our absolute priority and that selling all means we must transfer our whole heart from other interests to the supreme interest that is Christ himself. Choose today to be the disciple of Christ. Choose today again to reaffirm your commitment to being a disciple of Christ. Commit to join Jesus in his action. Commit to joining and becoming him, who he is in this world. And following his commands, whatever the cost. If you need to surrender your life to Christ, don't miss this moment. Do it today. Pastor Brad. never met any any believer who at the end of their life said wow I wish I would have given less wish I would have been less of a disciple never met anyone like that met lots the opposite who look back on their life and say I wish I would have given more and I don't I don't want to face the end of my life with regret either that's call that Tommy has unpacked. It's, it's not a guilt trip. It's an invitation from Jesus to, to join in his very life and what he's doing. <laughs> we get to be in the game. Star quarterback looks at us, little 95-pound weakling, says, come on, it's Super Bowl time. I want you to be on my team. Who does that? Who calls fishermen? Who calls me? Who calls us? Who does that? And who entrusts the salvation of the world to us? Who looks at families and says, I want you to go somewhere you've never been, people you've never met? Who says to young, white, suburban college students in the 1940s, 
Go to a tribe you've never seen. You may never come back, but go anyway. Tell you what, it's the same God who looked at his son and said, go. Go to that womb. Go to that cross. Oh, come on. So whether it's to Africa, whether it's next door, it's still the same call. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. There's no other option. There's no JV team in the kingdom of God. There's no practice squad. There's just in the fight. And everybody's invited. Everybody's needed. Everybody's called. Everybody's equipped. Everybody has. You have what it takes. You have what it takes to be a disciple who makes disciples. You have what it takes to say yes. So come on, let's pray together. Let's pray together. And I want to just share a couple closing announcements. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. Thank you for this call to partner with your son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit to advance your kingdom, Lord. We're thankful for those that have gone before us, Lord. Thousands of years, men and women who have said goodbye and headed out into the kingdom following your heart. We're thankful for those that are doing it now. Tommy and Cheryl and their beautiful children, we thank you, Lord, for those that will leave King's Church and do the same thing. Lord, we know we will be ascending church. We will say goodbye. We will have tearful goodbyes as we send people out. And some of them we will not see again. This side of eternity, Lord. Some of our children will go to the dark places of the earth. Prepare us, Lord, as parents for that time. As we give them to you. We can't keep them. They're not ours. They're yours for your glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name today.